Welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Zuck, and today I will speak with a dear friend, Tuval Shumot. Before I introduce Tuval, I wanted to let you know that in one week, on the 2nd of November, I'm opening an online MBL course, so you are invited to join us. You can go to our website, www.wisdomtolead.co, and see there the information. So Tuval Shumot is a Chief Solution Officer at Etoro. In his previous role, he was the CEO of Clicktail. Tuval brings over two decades of experience in entrepreneurship and startup management. So it's going to be interesting talking to him, how he blends mindfulness as part of his CEO's positions and Chief Solution Officer. So stay with us. Hi, Tuval. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure to be here with you as well. So, Tuval, as a senior executive, being a former CEO in various companies, I would like to hear about your path, about your connection. How do you connect mindfulness and leading business in the organization? Also about your personal path, whatever you feel like sharing with us. Let me start by sharing my personal path. which uh, um, I'm still on, uh, I guess we, we will always be on the path. That's true. Um, I started many years ago when I was a student at UCLA and I was looking for, uh, I was working in a couple of different jobs and, and, and studying quite intensely and I was looking for something that will keep me awake and sharp and calm. And uh, so I started the meditation, I was relatively young. Um, and it was really the, the, the most amazing present I've ever given to myself. And since then, for 30 years, uh, I've been doing, meditating on a daily basis every day, withstanding some days here and there, but for the most part, every day, uh, meditate for 20 to 30 minutes. And it really uh, changed uh, my life, I think, uh, both in terms of indeed, you know, it became, uh, I became much uh, sharper. Uh, relative to myself and uh, and also calmer and uh, it also I think uh, with the help of my wife which is uh, very uh, involved in spiritual work I, I over time became much more involved and not just in meditation and other forms of um, spiritual practices I would say uh, what do you mean by made you sharp that's interesting to understand for people who don't practice one of the things that I did in recent years is is re- read a lot of books about the brain and And because I'm interested also in Buddhism and mindful, I also read a, a number of books on the impact of meditation on the brain, which uh, uh, is becoming a subject that many people are now exploring and so on. And it has become very clear that there is a significant impact on the brain uh, from a neuroplasticity perspective. Uh, and people who meditate, And have a body of meditation so to speak their brain really changes in a number of places by the way not just in one place mm-hmm. and so without getting into the details I think that it does good things it regulates some of the activity in the brain and it allows you to reduce the noise and by reducing the noise it provides voices 
if you think about it, to other areas of the brain, and you can focus more. But over time, it just, uh, you know, if, if uh, it happens when I, and I don't meditate one day, then I can see, I can look at myself, I observe myself, and I can see that I'm not, uh, you know, not focused. And I'm not uh, in my center, and, I, and, and I'm possibly not as calm as, as I am when I do meditate. So I think it's a, it's a, you can think about it as a practice, but it's also a technique to improve, improving the mind and, and always, uh, you know, staying awake, so to speak. And, you know, I'm not young anymore. I'm 64 years old. Yeah. That's, yeah. 64 years old. I forgot it's a new age program. Yeah, it's a new fiction. So, um, so I think it's important. It's important because I think, you know, the other thing, and I don't know here, I couldn't tell you if it's because of meditation or, or just something that was embedded into me. You know, I, I, I'm so curious in general about so many different areas uh, related to spirituality, but not just uh, related to spirituality, to, uh, to art, to uh, cooking, to sports and so on. And I think I, I have a feeling, although I can prove it, that it contributes and meditation contributes to a sense of curiosity, which is, I think, uh, you know, great. Sounds uh, interesting. You know, I I can connect to the sharp aspect because I remember when I came, I went to the first retreat of Russell that you recommended me. And it was amazing because after three days, I saw clearly my vision like I never saw before. So it was really an amazing experience to see so clear. So I think this is what you meant about sharp, right? Seeing really clear the situation there. I think when you, I mean, yeah, I had a similar experience happen to me in one of the uh, uh, workshops of Russell. Uh, I was uh, walking in Upper State in New York, and I was walking in the uh, woods uh, near the Hudson River, and suddenly, you know, I had an epiphany about what was holding me back, and you know what uh, I intended to do about it. It was almost like a catharsis. That happened at the end of three days because what happens is you meditate, you open your heart, and you become more intimate with yourself. And this really allows for clarity. It's not just focus, it's clarity, right? I mean, these are two things. What focus is, you focus on something. Clarity is just suddenly it becomes very clear to you, very, you know, your vision is articulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I had a very similar experience. And uh, yes, I love uh, Russell. He's certainly one of my uh, teachers until today. Uh, you know, one of the people I think I think every day because he really was able to, uh, you know, to uh, I, I I was able to take a few practices and techniques from Russell and really apply them to the daily to my daily life. Uh, in, and in general, he's another guy that I think, you know, uh, brings the world of spirituality and, and transcending uh, without the religious aspect, which is, you know, where I try to focus on. So I interrupted you when you talk about your path. So you talk about your personal path. What interesting for me, and I think also for our listeners to understand how you use these tools in the day-to-day leading organizations when you have a lot of tasks you need to make a lot of decisions how does it helps you in the day-to-day yeah i had to think about it because uh, i was interviewed a couple of times including by yourself about uh, um, how do you take spirituality 
uh, meditation and transcending and bring it into the workplace. And I think the first thing you have, I, I would say is you have to be very careful mm -hmm. because although now it's becoming more mainstream, um, you have to be very careful because you could do it uh, in a very superficial way or you could do it in a way that, uh, you know, maybe is not all encompassing and all in a complete uh, transformation, but is probably has more integrity in it. Not everyone wants to hear about mindfulness, about meditation, about yoga, about opening your heart and so on within the context of the workplace. And so you have to be careful with people. You have to respect the fact that they are not interested in, in looking at, at the perspective that you may have. And when I, when I was interviewed for the first time, I really had to think through this. What is it that I bring? And if I do bring something, why is it that I bring uh, that practice? And I think at the end where, uh, you know, where these two things meet for me is around the people. And I think that the main, the main backbone for this intersection is, is respect. And so if I think about spirituality, I, I'd say respect and, respect and intimacy. And I'll explain the intimacy thing because it might sound wrong. But the respect is simply respecting other people. And I think here uh, it coincides with something that I really believe in, that humbleness and, and humility and just being a good human being, uh, while you can still be very demanding and, and ask for a high accountability, these are two different dimensions and they don't move together. So you could be a very demanding boss and, and you can pursue excellence and you can be intolerant to or, you know, uncompromising to uh, uh, to mediocrity. Uh, but at the same time, you can do it in a way that is very humane and very, I don't know, I don't know which word to use here, but maybe... Uh, demanding, I think it's your word, no? I'm sorry? Demanding, being demanding, but... No, I'm saying on one hand you are demanding and you don't want to compromise with mediocrity and you want to make sure that the organization strives for excellence. And on the other hand, you want to be... Uh, a human, good human being, well, even if you have to let someone go, and even if you have to say to someone, you haven't done what, uh, what it is uh, that you promised, or you're not committed enough, or whatever, um, and do it uh, with some degree of tenderness, while you keep, uh, you know, or I would say compassion, but while you keep your center. And so these two things are not orthogonal, or not, they're not contradicting. And so I try to be very demanding of the people who work with me and myself, but at the same time, I try to also, uh, you know, show a degree of compassion. When I speak about intimacy, I think the spiritual path is all about intimacy, first and foremost, between yourself, between you and yourself. And I mean, when I say intimacy, I don't mean anything but the deepness of the relationship and I try to look at the people who work who I work with as human beings right behind every employee so to speak there is a human being mm -hmm. and understand them and listen to them and observe them and include them and partner with them but at the same time you know I could be sometimes be viewed as someone who is very demanding was very pushy for results and so on so when all is said and done I think respect is the basis for how do I bring it into the workplace respect between an, uh, an employee and the workplace uh, and the company he works for he or she works for uh, between the company and the employee because I think you know it's a two-way street mm -hmm. uh, between me and the team uh, that I manage between me and the and person I report to in the way of, you know, the dialogue space that you create, uh, which allows for real true listening and for people to voice their opinion, but ultimately, you know, not confusing it with the fact that you are 
in certain situation uh, the decider and then and therefore you know uh, taking the time to listen but making a decision at the end yes well here you say it's actually holding the tension between seeing the person being human and being demanding so it it's in a paradoxical way it's not contradictions but you need to hold both both of them and then decide what is the right decision to make and it can be difficult decision to let go of someone that's okay you know <clears throat> I think it's also can benefit him also difficult decision in the long run can be better than leaving a worker to work an employee yeah. to work in their workplace without uh, respecting him without being appreciative of him because nobody wants to come to a workplace that is not appreciative right so I think it's in the long run it's win-win situation. Yeah, I, I, I want to unbundle these two things because I think, uh, you know, people say it, it might be good for them. Indeed, it might be good for them, but there are other people when if you have to let them go or, you know, or say that they're not going doing their job, it's not, it's not uh, you know, uh, it's not great for them. It might be quite devastating. And so I think that the what I'm speaking about is not whether it's good for them or not. I think that's, you know, somewhat, uh, if you'll excuse me, patronizing. I think it's more about how do you do it and mm-hmm. what approach do you do and it goes back to what I said at the beginning about the clarity and centering if you are centered when you do these things even if you have to do it and unfortunately working in the financial world I had to do it a few times you know at the, at the significant scale the question is how you do it you cannot control what the other person will say but as long as you're centered and as long as you you're doing it by really listening to that or I wouldn't even say listening I would say first seeing the other individual when you do this and allowing and it's about them not about you certainly in situations like this then I think you, you, you know it, it's a much it's a much better situation it will never be perfect it might be quite devastating as I said. But it certainly is a better situation but if I'm connecting to the broader picture you call it the spiritual or you know I think there's places in our life that we think one thing is good for us but not sure this is the accurate job for us position for us something that sometimes we're trying to hold on and you know sometimes if the organization the our, our manager helps us, Uh, to let go and uh, fire us okay it's not a nice word but I think in the long run if we see the broader picture maybe it helps us to find a better job for us no so in the long run we will be more happier I, yeah, I, what I, I'm I, saying I, that negative uh, emotions and negative experiences our judgment you know in the Buddhism they say that negative or positive is our judgment our mind they judge it if you see the broader picture there's no good and bad this is what First of all, I agree, but I also don't want to, if I'm the one who is handing out you know, or is controlling this conversation, I don't want to make an assumption about the other individual that starts there. That's respect, right? I mean, the individual may have issues at home mm-hmm. and you let them go uh, and, uh, and it, it really puts them in a stressful situation. Uh, sure. I was on the receiving end of, uh, of these situations before and indeed it did make me advance in life. And get a different perspective and I have to say one time you know throughout my career one time I was let go in a very difficult circumstances and then you know it did free me up and it did create new opportunities but I have to say I think that even then the you know the, the practice the spiritual practices really helped me because from the get-go I didn't feel an enormous relief I didn't feel uh, an, you know any sort of pain 
I was really in my center and, and indeed, you know, tried to distance my, myself from the situation, almost observed myself. And it took me about six months to uh, find another job. I, I mean, I had the consulting opportunities and I, I was very busy. But I have to say that the, during these, I was observing myself, trying to see whether or not my ego was there. It was, of course, it always is. But I mean, I was quite pleased with myself that, uh, you know, I, uh, at uh, the way I stayed quite calm and the way I stayed happy and the way I, I looked forward and didn't look backwards and took all the good things that I learned uh, during this period, but also the, the mistakes that I made. You know, it's, I think, you know, mindfulness allows you to look at your mistakes with being uh, somewhat detached emotionally from them. And God knows I made mistakes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I know them very well now, and, and I try to apply them uh, where I am right. It sounds amazing because, as you say, it's really the, your practice really helped you to go through these challenging times and adversity and to reflect upon and also be emotionally attached because I'm sure it wasn't nice feelings and it was a lot of unpleasant feelings and also being with it, but also being able to connect to the broader picture and to... See the broader picture, what you can learn from it, looking at yourself from a third perspective. This is the qualities that you nurture through your practice that helped you go through this challenging time. So I think it's amazing. It's helpful. I, I mean, I, first of all, it wasn't all good. Let's uh, be very straight here. Um, it was, you know, I didn't have uh, times where, you know, I was definitely, I was hurting, so to speak. But yes. even that, I think mindfulness, and it's not about me, it's about mindfulness, and, and it allows you, on one hand, to be awake and intimate with yourself, but also, at the same time, create some distance between you and the external events. Mindfulness, I think it's all about the balance between the outside and the inside. And so once you have this balance, you're in a, in a better place. I think that if it was earlier in my career, it would have been more uh, impactful. Um, you know, as you grow and you become more balanced and you become uh, more confident of your ability and, and more understanding of your shortcomings, it's much easier because typically what happens in a, in, a, in a situation like this is that you doubt yourself. And, you know, I was able to look at myself from the outside, so to speak. I, I don't mean by this uh, any sort of spiritual experience. I'm just, you know, looking at myself and not convincing myself and I was quite happy with what I saw, quite happy and, and it, it provided me even more uh, happiness. It's important what you say. I think that being mindful is being able to feel the unpleasant feeling. I don't think it was an easy uh, situation for you, what you're talking about. I'm sure it was painful, it was uh, sad, it was had a lot of uh, unpleasant feeling, but this is being mindful, feeling this feeling, but without being overwhelmed by them on, or letting them uh, color our, all our picture. But you could have been connected to this personal feeling and at the same time see you're from the outside, learn from this experience, uh, see the positive side. So this is what I think mindful is. I mean, right, but I, I, I mean, in addition to how mindfulness treats it as if feelings and, and thoughts are things that, that, that are not us, but are, are part of us. And, mm -hmm. you know, they can move away, be it, uh, you know, the, the, if you compare it to clouds that move away and so on. I have to say that what was different about this experience, again, from an observation perspective, was that the, the bad feelings were not there. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't grooming them under the psychological uh, uh, the carpet, if you will. 
Um, it was much more about um, looking at myself and saying, it happens and what can I do now? What, where are the opportunities? And not in a way that is, you know, hand-waving or cliches and so on. Uh, not at all. You know, I immediately started uh, a startup with a friend and started, went back to programming myself, taught myself how to program in uh, uh, in Python and, and started uh, producing. And, uh, and looked at myself from the outside of this transformation. I, I was quite satisfied with what I saw. So, yeah, I mean, I think mindfulness is about detaching yourself from feelings and, and, and being able to look at them from a distance, if you will. But with me, the, the surprising things, and I thought it was so totally surprising, was that I wasn't even, I didn't have all these bad feelings that typically you get when in a situation like this. But it might be individual. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know that people can, can learn from this necessarily. Yeah, I, I think it's important for me to say that I think mindfulness is yes is maybe you specifically didn't feel bad feelings in this situation, but usually being mindful is the ability also to feel our feelings if it's pleasant and not pleasant. And as you said, when we acknowledge that. This feeling is part of us, like the sadness. I feel, I experience it sometimes that I feel sad, and then I'm talking to myself from Russell. Yes, I'm focusing. I said, okay, part of me feels sad. How do you want me to be with you? And I'm giving it space, and then it transforms. This is what you say about the clouds. So when we don't fight and we give it place, it actually transforms because it's emotion. It's an emotion, right? So it moves on if we don't get it stuck in our body. Um, yeah, I recently read the, um, someone calls these things visitors, right? The thoughts and the feelings or visitors that come into our home. Yeah, the only. You welcome them and you let them be and then and then they go. Yes, it's, and it's a, a form. It's a nice uh, saying that it is. Tuval, tell me, how do you experience this coronavirus situation that we're in the midst of? What, the, what do you see in the business world? How do you think it's going to impact the business world? What are our lessons as leaders to learn from this situation? I, I, I truly don't think that I have uh, something unique to say, but I mean, from looking at everything, I think, yeah, the, the workplace has changed. I think people overestimate the impact that it will have if the corona goes away and nothing else comes in, it, it will change the workplace. I mean, we see Microsoft and Google and others say that they will allow their employees to work from home forever. So the interaction model is going to greatly change. When I look at the organizational culture, which is based on Zoom, I mean, I see positives, and, but I also see a lot of negatives, and I think people will start experiencing it. I mean, I think we're social animals, and we do want to have face-to-face -face interactions. Mm -hmm. I don't think Zoom uh, it provides, uh, you know, it, it does provide, certainly does provide a lot of interactions, but not to the extent that we're used to, and who knows what this will do uh, for culture and so on. Um, I also think that in terms of innovation, uh, it's a platform that doesn't uh, support innovation as much as it, you know, and taking a small group of people in, in, in a small room and, and with a whiteboard and drawing pictures and thinking through this. So it doesn't allow for brainstorming in the same way that face-to-face -face does. And so, it, and it also doesn't allow for reflection. So I think uh, what I try to do is I try to overcome these things, but not always successfully by engaging people in a different way. And um, I think that the uh, world of business travel has changed forever. I mean, people realize that the ROI of making uh, 
on meeting someone unless it's an extremely crucial uh, meeting. Uh, you know, there is no reason to go to California from Israel to convince someone of something. Mm -hmm. uh, you could do it on Zoom because both parties are uh, now have expectations that it can actually take place in Zoom. But uh, but I, I I I hope that you know when the corona goes away and assuming that uh, you know from a health perspective and an economical perspective things will get back to somewhat uh, normal i do hope that uh, there will be more face-to-face -face interaction i agree with you i think it's going to be hybrid right because we do need the interaction with our colleagues it's really lonely working all day long and especially for those who have small kids it's really challenging not only long lonely but also challenging to work like this so i think i agree that we will need to the time together in the the small talk for for innovation thinking about an idea talking about it with people even if we don't do it in a structured way so yeah, and, and i think i think the, the negative impact is is accumulating And so this week I spoke with a number of individuals with kids, kids at home, yeah. which are suffering both from uh, things more in the physical world, like, you know, it's, it's very tiring to be with the kids the whole day. And, and it's very difficult to uh, coordinate and orchestrate a situation where both parents work and both of them need to be at Zoom in different mm -hmm. places and the kids are at home. I mean, I, I really don't know how they do it. But just in general, I mean, I think, again, we're social animals and we want to see people and, and, and we want to interact and we want to laugh and we want to uh, do all the things that we do. And I think, uh, you know, the accumulative impact or effect of not doing this and day after day where you sit next to the computer and I think, you know, we are in the software industry and the software industry, you really, I mean, it, it ends up that I, you are 10 hours a day on Zoom, right? I mean, if you're a manager, you don't code, you don't do other things, you don't go and, and bring, go into meetings where people talk and you can, you know, have a mental break. I think it's it's going to, the impact is going to be much larger than, than companies realize at this point. It's, you know, it's been eight months. Mm -hmm. um, if it continues for another eight months, I think uh, we'll see much more uh, impact on, on the psyche of people, on the commitment of people, on, you know, the perspective of people and in regards to what, what's right in life. And in general, I think, you know, people are starting to think about their lifestyle, uh, you know, sort of fundamental question. It reminds me that I, well, I know that one of your values is work hard, play hard, right? So right. We, we can't really implement it nowadays, right? Because how can we play hard? <laughs> I think it definitely requires more. I mean, I try to go to the beach still every day, ride my bike. And and as you can see, there is a treadmill here behind me. So I try to do sports and I try to do other things and so on. But it's, but I I do miss the human interaction uh, quite a bit. So if you need to give a tip for the leaders and managers and people, individuals that listening, what tip will you give them to overcome these challenging times or to lead in these challenging times? And I think... In, in the spirit of mindfulness, I think this is the time to listen and to take into account, you know, a larger perspective while still maintaining, you know, the need to bring value to stake up to shareholders. I would say listen more, see the person behind the employee and still, you know, maintain the need for results. I, I, that's number one. So listening, respect and so number two. I think when you work in a distributed fashion like this, I think clarity is of the essence. Mm -hmm. So as managers, one of the big things that we need to do is always explain the why. 
why are we going there and where where is it that we're going and why are we going there i mean i mean this is huge it's just huge it's more difficult to create the clarity and focus and alignment there in a video world than it is in a physical world so our job is to really focus and try to explain to people don't take for granted you're not seeing their body language you're not really understanding you know whether or not something you say is resonating with them or not so listening and explaining I think it's really crucial uh, the listening for sure and also to be transparent and to connect the big people right in the day to day it's important but you say it's even more important in the zoom century because people want to know why they're doing what they're doing and to engage them so it, you, you need to really put more energy to invest the people to engage them to connect them to the broader picture because they don't have the small talk they don't have the ability to ask their peer and In the, in the kitchen, what did he say to you then? Did you understand? So you really need to make sure that the, it's clarified the vision, the why, the processes. I think it's really crucial. I, I agree with you about this. Transparency is a key here. I think I also want to engage in what you said. You said that personally, you take your time off. You're going to the beach. You're going to, to the sport. You find things that make you alive, that make you feel alive. Good. So I think it's also a really crucial element nowadays, no? Because we don't yeah, have it we lo- in lockdown. Yeah. In the place where I'm working right now, there's a lot of conversation about forcing people to take vacation. Not so much because, because people are accumulating vacation day, but more so because you have to force people to take a break. Because otherwise, you know, this, the fact that you're working and living in the same place creates a very foggy boundaries. So uh, yeah, for example, I'm taking Sunday through Tuesday off and I started yesterday with I go to the beach every day. I do uh, you know I, I spend a couple of hours on, on my art, doing a lot of meditation and yoga and so on. Not so much interactions which I would typically do or go somewhere which is fun. But uh, yeah, I, a journey into myself, I'd say. I think, what do you think about uh, deciding during the day, like between, I don't know if it's realistic, I'm asking you, huh? between uh, 12 to 2 o'clock or to 1 and a half o'clock, it's a breakup for all the company, take time, go eat with your children, have this pause, as you say, enforce them to take this pause. We're speaking about it as well. I mean, it depends on, you know, on the geography and so on, because... Mm-hmm. You know, we're a global company, so what does it actually mean? So when people take breaks in different, say, around lunchtime, but we're certainly speaking about it, and we're trying to figure out the right thing. So uh, because you have to be careful when you tell people to take, you know, when you're mandating and demanding time off, the question is what happens with the meetings that would have typically happened during this time? If, you, if people will push them, into other sides you know, of the day, then they will end up working longer hours, which is not the impact you want. But I think, you know, maybe some other time, I mean, I, I really think that the world, the meetings and organizations are, are out of control. I don't think we do them well. I don't think we prepare for them well and so on. I mean, it's terrible. And I do think that there are progressive organizations that uh, really look at meetings as, as something that, you know, it was terribly... innovative and uh, not innovative but uh, productive and mm-hmm. now it's uh, you know I think there is a lot of diminishing return the more meetings you have the less productive they become so it's an opportunity to see what really meetings need to be done and what meeting will can let go and that's what this was my recommendation uh, uh, you know when we are when we were in these discussions was 
Okay, if you want to give someone a day off or a morning off or you know two hours a day or what have you and so on, then at the same time take a bunch of meetings and cut them in half. Don't eliminate them if you can, but you know instead of uh, an hour, make them half an hour. Instead of uh, you know an hour and a half, make them 45 minutes and so on. I think I think you'd get the same results and and you'd actually free some thinking time and and uh, creativity time. Yeah, you could be more efficient and focused. Tuval, where are you working today? Can you tell us about your... Yeah, I'm at ETOR. I'm the chief solution officers, which means officer, which means that I look after product development and R&D and engineering and business solutions and a couple other areas. So I understand that you also work in virtually, right? You're not going to the office. Right. Did you change more process? Is there... Yeah, we, we, do, we do. I mean, we're always, I mean, we're, I mean, I started there at the beginning of January and, and we're trying to, to change many of the things that we do, measure them more properly, create more alignment, do better talent management and so on and so forth. So I, I don't know how much of it is related. I would have done these things or I would have tried to do these things regardless of that. Uh, that. We did have a number of meetings where we brainstormed for a full day in a room to bring back the ability to brainstorm properly and, and they these days proved really uh, really productive and indeed they become innovative uh, mm-hmm. but no other than that no I, I mean you know it's taking as I said taking what we had in the office losing the corridor and the kitchen type and the sink type discussions which I think is another disadvantage because You gain a lot of uh, organizational and business information just by hearing people. Yeah. Uh, take away the, you know, most of the brainstorming that happens and, and putting all of it in Zoom. So, no, I, I don't think we found the movement. I think ultimately there, initially it was a novelty. People liked it. I think now you know, we're seeing people <laughs> becoming very tired of being by themselves. Tuva, is there anything you want to share with us that I didn't ask? Just that I think that maybe the, the, you know maybe you can share how we started this friendship which is you know was great and I think now it's probably about 20 years old right yeah you think it's 20 years old no you have it was just born or something like this yes yeah, so actually yes I did my PhD in your company it was in, in 2009 yeah so yes I was looking for my company to conduct my research and I was meeting a lot of CEOs and then a colleague of mine told me that he knows actually I, I thought it would be the easiest part of my PhD prepared not to be the easy one and then I remember that I talked with a colleague and he told me you know I have a manager a company that I worked with and they have a meditation room in their company so maybe they are a good fit for you And I said, okay, sounds good. Can you connect me to them? And then I remember that they connected me to the former HR that you knew. I, don't, I didn't know her. And she connected me to you. And then you were really... Right. But I, I think just to say something about the meditation room, um, yeah. what I, you know, I think it was a bit of a gimmick, I must say, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it turns into uh, afterwards were, were uh, I was very happy with because there were women who were... Uh, breastfeeding their kids there was there were people you know religious people who were praying in there there were people who just went in there to sleep and there were some people who did yoga and meditation and so on but 
But I think ultimately um, it just shows you the diversity and the richness of, of activities once you have where you have room to rest. So maybe that's a good place to uh, to end and say, you know, in some sense, you know, we all need to look for a room to rest within ourselves. I think it's amazing, but I want to add something because I think the meditation room, it was a sign for me that your intention to do something dif- different. And, you know, now everybody checkpoint or also made a meditation room after I facilitate their courses and the uh, intelligence the meditation. Room. So now it's really common. And, you know, it's something that there's uh, more than 6,000 uh, public scientific that shows that mindfulness impact our brain, our happiness, our, uh, you know, well-being. So now it's really common. But I think when I met you, it was like more than around... 12 years ago, 13 years ago, it wasn't so common. I think you were really an entrepreneur in this area and you wanted to bring something different to the business world. And the fact that you made this meditation, I think the intention, what's most important is the intention. You put intention that you wanted to do something different, that you wanted to give place to people. And actually, the meditation room, you say, people use it in various ways, okay? But I remember that also the meditation room, it changed to fun room because it aligned right. itself to the business world, right? Because you needed to speak the language there, the organization, the company will embrace it. Although it changed the form, the essence stayed. It's given place to people to connect to themselves, to others, to, to pause, to play and go back to I, work. I think some of it was uh, via the fact that uh, Ronan, who was my deputy, and then became the manager, I moved on to other things, uh, is also a guy that listens and a guy that, that allows and a guy that uh, mentors and, and develops and so on. So I think it's not just the, the surrounding. Some of it is the surrounding and the culture and the DNA, but, but much of it is, is who manages, who's the leader. That's right. So if we'll conclude, I think what's important is what I know from you, it's the respect. You talk about it a lot and you live according to it, to respect people, to respect yourself, to respect the, the interaction with people. And I think also giving place to this kind of practice, spirit, as you call it, place to be, to be connected. And I think this is the way we started our conversation. We said, said it's been intimacy with myself. So this is what it means. It means let's have space to listen to myself, to be connected to myself, to my feelings. And from this place, I can connect better with others. So I think it's a crucial aspect of being present, being mindful. And I think we all need it nowadays also in, to handle in a better way this situation, transformative situation that we are living in. So Tuval, thank you very much. I enjoyed thank our you. conversation. This was Tuval Shumot. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast, Mind Your Leadership, and see you in our next episode. Till then, take care and bye-bye.